What did you want to be when you were growing up? Um, what did you? I heard something say. Luke Skywalker. <laughs> yeah. Did you as well? Yeah, Stu, man, me and Stu wanted to be Luke Skywalker. Uh, an, an astronaut. Did you want to be an astronaut or um, a rock star, an inventor? Sometimes when you ask, you know, ask kids what they want to be, these are the kinds of things they say. Uh, when I was growing up, I had a phase where I wanted to be, um, wait for it, an orthopedic surgeon. Yeah. Hey, Dad. I was probably about 10 years old, and I heard this word orthopedic, and it, and it sounded kind of neat, and I thought, that I want to be an orthopedic surgeon. I didn't really know. Oh, no, I had, a, had an idea that it was something to do with bones and power tools, and I thought, <laughs> 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 looking back, it's actually pretty gruesome, isn't it? But when we were growing up, we sometimes we have these like major, like these big ass, big ass goals or things that we want to do, and I think a lot of it is that we want to be, we want to be significant. We want to have significance somehow. We want to be, we want to be special. Um, we want to make a difference in the world. And when, uh, when we're young, there's, no, there's really no limits to our imagination, no limit to what we think we might be able to do. And then gradually the years go by, year after year, and, and um, sometimes our hopes and our dreams, they can diminish. Um, like, um, you know, I'm too old to become an astronaut or a rock star, or I'm too busy to retrain as an orthopedic surgeon, um, or uh, I, you know, I can't take the financial risk of taking something that I've invented to market, you know, those kind of, those kind of things. It's all suddenly got a bit serious. Those kind of narratives can play out in our minds a wee bit, but, but the kingdom of God, the narrative of the kingdom of God, it really speaks a different story. The kingdom of God is... is is a grand and beautiful narrative, and so today I want to I want to I want to tag in where I finished off last week, and some of you might have missed last week's epic sermon. Um, so I'm going to give you a quick recap. And epic, epic really is the right word. Uh, the epic narrative of the kingdom of God, this this overarching story that we can enter into, and this is the diagram that I showed um, the the special people that were here last week. It's a, it's a helpful diagram for, for understanding the kingdom of God and, and, and kind of what it helps us to understand what it means. We've got this line at, at the bottom. You can see that I've just photographed a page out of a book, eh? So you can see right through it to the, page, to the things behind it. <clears throat> anyway, we've got this line back in the bottom, and, and this line is a, it's a timeline, and so it starts right back at the fall. The fall being when, when Adam and Eve, uh, they'd been in this perfect relationship with God in the Garden of Eden, right back at the beginning, beginning of creation, and they decided they, they, wanted to, they turned their back on him. And so in their turning back on him, they turned their back on the source of life, and, and death entered the world, sin and evil and suffering entered the world, and, and we call that the fall. And then since that time, we've been in, in this sort of this present age, or this present evil age, it calls it in the Bible, this present age. And throughout this, this present age in the Old Testament, there was loads of prophecies, loads of promises about, about a future age to come when God was going to come in and he was going to restore everything to the way how it should be. There was going to be a king, a messiah. And then into this steps Jesus, Jesus who's God. Jesus was that, uh, that, that promised messiah and Jesus did all these things that they expected of, of this future kingdom. Uh, he healed people. Um, he set people free from demons. He spoke to a storm and the storm calmed down. So he's doing all these things that people recognize as being aspects of this future kingdom of God. Like, like in our hearts, we all, we all hope for a better, a better future, a better, um, a better life. And Jesus was doing all these kinds of things. And then, and then Jesus uh, was crucified. And then a few days later, he rose from the dead. And in this crucifixion and resurrection, he took upon himself the sins of the world. And, and through what he did, he, can, he restored us. He may, it means that we, if we have faith in him, then we can be restored to life. And then he was resurrected, then he ascended to heaven, and then um, some time later there was the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the, um, like the, the Holy Spirit and the presence of God was with people, was on people. The Holy Spirit came upon people like flames of fire. And all these were like these amazing, beautiful aspects of the, of the future kingdom of God. And then... 
but things weren't quite as they as they were expected. Like there was still uh, bad stuff going on in the world, still evil and suffering and all those kinds of things. And so we, we talk about how how the kingdom of God has arrived, but it ha- but it hasn't been hasn't been consummated fully. <clears throat> and we live in this we live in this time when the kingdom has arrived, but it hasn't the kingdom hasn't fully been established. It's actively advancing, but there's still still evil, still sin, suffering and brokenness in the world. But at the same time, we have these moments where the kingdom breaks in, where, uh, where people, people find life, like we meet with Jesus and we find life, or people, uh, people are healed sometimes. We pray for people and they're healed, and, and amazing good things happen, but still there's the badness. Derek Morphew, he's a, he's a vineyard theologian in South Africa, and he calls it this, using a whole lot of big words. The inaugurated, enacted, eschatological kingdom of God. Yes, inaugurated. Inaugurated is a, is a word meaning introduced and established. Like the kingdom of God was introduced and established by Jesus. And it's a bit like um, an inauguration of a, of a president. Or uh, last year when I was inaugurated as a senior pastor, that's one of, the, one of the words we can use. Inaugurated, enacted. Enacted has this emphasis on the continuing action of the kingdom of God. It's a happening thing. The kingdom of God is a happening thing. It's a progressive, progressive revealing and growth of the kingdom. And eschatological. Oh. Go talk to people about that this week. They go, what the heck? You just made that up. It's a big word. <laughs> yeah, that is a big word. Thanks, past self, for writing that down here. It's a big word, and it comes from this Greek word, eschatos. Eschatos, um, referring to last days, or the end of things. Eschatology is about the end times. It's about the future. It's a word that theologians use, so no one's going to talk about it when you're at work tomorrow, unless you're a theologian. Um, uh, talking about the future, the destiny of humanity. And so in this phrase here, it's talking, uh, it's talking about the future kingdom of God breaking into the presence, or... Uh, I like the, the fruit, the fruit of the future um, coming in, and we're getting to taste that fruit today. So yeah, remember that one inaugurated and enacted eschatological kingdom of God. Oh, it's hard to say quickly. But what does it all mean to us? Like, does it does it play out in our lives in any in any kind of real sense? Is it is it just a a head located, it's just something to think about, this concept that is, that is fun to think about but has no real life uh, relevance. Well, let me tell you. Last week I said that we can be kingdom agents, partnering with God to bring the, the goodness of the future today, bringing heaven to earth. Jesus followers, so people who are born again, we're, we're children of the kingdom, we're born into his kingdom. We are um, ambassadors of the kingdom. But this, this church is located in a, an area of Wellington which is surrounded by ambassadors and diplomats and so on. And if you take a walk up Hobson Street, you see all these fancy houses and buildings and you'll come across the Australian High Commission. Interesting story. No, wait, oh, should I tell them the story? Yeah, yeah. No, Tessa said no. That <laughs> is a bit of a side note. Um... You can come and ask me about my modelling career after the service. <laughs> Let's just say it involved the Australian High Commission. Anyway, the Australian High Commission's up there, the German Embassy, the Embassy of the Philippines. You, there's a really, really cool house, which is the residence of the uh, French ambassador. Epic, it's like a three-storey house. I think it has a lift in there. Am I right? Uh, what else? Yeah, German embassy, uh, around the corner of the U.S. embassy. And the really crazy thing about being a, a diplomat or an um, ambassador is that they're um, somehow not under the laws of New Zealand. <laughs> That's very strange. But it's quite a useful picture for us. As kingdom agents, we, we're on this mission sent, from, uh, sent by King Jesus, representing the kingdom of Jesus. And, and somehow... Um, uh, sorry, like diplomats and ambassadors, we're representing his kingdom and we have the authority of Jesus in, the, in this present age. And ultimately, we're living under, under the laws of God. Doesn't mean that we um, get to go 120 k's on the motorway or things like that. We're still under the laws of the land, but we're ultimately under the laws of God. Anyway, in that phrase, inaugurated, enacted, eschatological kingdom of God, 
uh, we play a role in this enacted bit. And this, I reckon this is a really wonderfully uh, multifaceted thing. Like we, our mission can be at different levels of society, uh, and it can be in different locations, in all sorts of contexts, wherever we find ourselves as children of God. God gives us gifts to give to those around us. And so today I've asked uh, two special guests who are going to um, talk to us a bit about their kingdom agent activity. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, interview them, and um, they've got some cool stuff to tell us, and then, then I'll get on to talking about a kingdom agent in the Old Testament. So without further ado, can you put your hands together, and I'll welcome up kingdom agent Ellie Holt. So many of you will know Ellie, um, but I thought it'd be quite cool for Ellie to give us a bit of a bit of her background. So, um, can you tell us a bit about who you are, uh, where you're from, and then also I wanted to know what was your favourite main course? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. So I'm uh, from the UK originally, born in the UK, uh, migrated to New Zealand in '96. Have four delightful, gorgeous children and three grandchildren. So lots of family stuff going on. So, of course, my main career is being grandmother. And then, but um, on the side, um, I'm e-judiciary advisor to the Chief Justice of Papua New Guinea. And I run a business, Longitude 174, and I do uh, digital strategic planning stuff in Wellington as well. And I write international standards kind of as a hobby. Gets a bit of a and my, my favourite main course, like if I was going for like the mega celebration, it would be lobster. And strangely enough, um, when, I, when I went to P&G, one of the first meals I had in P&G was lobster, because it's dirt cheap there, like the poor people eat it. <laughs> so, so like where you pay like maybe a hundred bucks for a lobster dinner at Shed 5, it's like 20 kilo, which is like nothing. Um, in the working men's club in, in Port Moresby. It's so funny. Yeah. It's so good. So it's where you're meant to be, eh? Yeah. yeah, where you're meant to be. <laughs> um, you do quite a bit of travelling. Uh, and like Ellie, she disappears for a few weeks and then she comes back and you find out that she's been over um, overseas somewhere and, and drops in words like United Nations. Yeah. You've been, at a, you've been at the United Nations meetings, and so um, can you tell us kind of things that you've been involved in with yeah, the UN? Sure. So, um, oh, it's got to be good, God, because it's not something I would have applied for, but I've ended up in two lunches in New York with the United Nations, and one I was invited to be part of a special um, team looking at fraud um, controls for Africa, and then the second time I went was a discussion on prosperity and, and peace for the poor nations. And just like, like a big think tank thing where they pull people from representatives around, around the world to have this amazing lunch with amazing people um, like um, the guy who wrote Blackadder, Richard Curtis, and uh, Ewan McGregor was there. Um, I could just name drop for a few. But the, but the best one was the, um, the uh, Justin Trudeau was part of our group. And it was so funny because, like, everybody came in, and Richard Curtis and Ewan McGregor, and, like, people like, oh, you know, but when Justin Trudeau came into a room, you could hear click, 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 click. And it was like he had the paparazzi just, like, travel around. He's just like, he's a cross between, like, a Disney prince and a, you know, and a, and a prime minister. A lovely guy. But just these guys had such a heart for, um, for world peace, for world prosperity, and for actually looking at how do we make things better for refugees and for the poor people in the world. It was just such a privilege to be part of that, that think tank. Yeah. Yeah. It was Justin Trudeau. He'd be like the Northern Hemisphere vision of um, our, our Prime yeah, Minister, exactly. eh? Yeah. <laughs> just in there of the North. Um, <laughs> uh, so these days we hear that you're doing uh, quite a bit of work over in Papua New Guinea. Enjoying the lobster, um, but can you tell us a bit about what, what that involves? Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm a advisor to uh, the Chief Justice on building an e-judiciary, so I'm building a digital justice system. 
And so one of the promises I gave them was that we would learn from everywhere else in the world and we'd help them leapfrog over what everybody else has done and build these amazing systems. So I've now got some um, student interns in Auckland and P&G who are building an artificial intelligence judgment engine for automating judgments to help with our backlog of reserve judgments. So just crazy things, like it's really fun. Yeah, and they pay, they pay me to do it, that's just... Awesome. <laughs> um, and then, how do you see the kingdom of God intersecting with the kinds of things that you do? Yeah. Yeah. Apologies for reading from notes, but I thought I'll, I'll write down some eight points that have really come to me through the work in PNG. Because when James asked me to do this, I thought, oh, yeah, it'd be nice to have a chat about PNG. And I thought, well, and then I thought, like, God really give me some things to say. Awesome. So the first one is. Um, what I've noticed is God trains and appoints. He doesn't appoint and then train. Like in the world, we, we get people into our business and then we train them to do something. God trains first and then he appoints you into a position. And so the, the message here is, listen up, peeps. Today's sermon will have relevance tomorrow. And that's really what I found. Like some of the teaching I've heard in, in, in when I've been sitting here, I've been sitting here thinking, oh, that's not going to apply to me. Do you know what I mean? Like, not, not a bad way. But then I've been in PNG and thought, oh my golly, you know what somebody said about Nehemiah is like, this is happening in front of me. So number two, uh, theory is good, but until you put it into practice, it has no value. So you can listen to all the Bible teaching and do all the good stuff, but unless you actually go out on the streets and help people and do stuff, then, bleh, you know. Uh, and then this is a big one for me. Number three, um, for me, fear and worry are about what might happen. And I've always been a worrier. In fact, somebody, when um, Robert and I were in a uh, house group and somebody had a word for me that I would be a warrior, but I misheard it as a warrior. And I thought, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's me. Um, and I've always been kind of fearful. And like Port Moresby is full of things to be frightened of. You know, like there's always something going down. There's always a riot. I was on the phone once to Lydia, my eldest daughter, and um, I put the phone down. I thought, I should ring her back. She probably heard the gunfire in the background. She might be a bit worried. <laughs> anyway. Um, but when you're actually in the frightening situation, a different set of emotions kick in and reactions kick in. And you're actually not afraid in the fearful situation. It's a peculiar thing. And then I've been listening to a lot of Joyce Mayer stuff while I've been away. And she says, don't be fearful about things that are a dead certainty anyway. And she tells a lovely story of a woman in her late 40s is expecting her first child and comes to Joyce Mayer and says, oh, I'm so fearful that labor will be painful. And Joyce Mayer turns around and says, well, don't be fearful. She said, it will be painful. <laughs> it's, like, it's a dead cert, you know. <laughs> So there's some, some things that I've been fearful of that I actually need to say, well, no, that definitely will happen, and I actually need to prepare for it, you know? So you can take away fear and worry from your lives, is what I'm saying. Number four, the power of words to build or destroy. Actually, our words are so important, and with our very... With our tongue, we can either really encourage people or we can really make a bad situation worse. Number five, God's training for me. Um, the stories of Daniel that we went through um, with Manifest Presence um, about lots of prayer, but also the fact that Daniel lived through good leaders and bad leaders. And it's very tempting. Like, I, was, I was hired by a very good leader, and then now we've got a leader who's a bit harder to work with. And it's tempting to think, oh, I've just come home. you know. <laughs> but actually, Daniel stuck through the, the good and the bad and the mediocre. And then Nehemiah building the wall. You know, like, I love the story of Nehemiah. And I remember studying it with, I think it was with House Group, and thinking, wow, this is such a cool story. But actually, I'm at the bit of Nehemiah where Nehemiah's building the wall and everybody around's abusing him, telling him it's not going to work. That, that's exactly my situation in PNG at the moment. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, and again, I'm thinking, I'll just come home. And then I think, oh, no, Nehemiah actually stuck it out. <laughs> and then Jonah, I've always, always associated myself with Jonah. <laughs> And um, there's an element of Jonah there as well where I'm thinking, I've come all this way and they're doing it themselves anyway. I'll go home. You know? and, and it's again, it's Jonah, you know, like he's influenced and actually things turn out okay. And then number six, I've only got three more. Sorry, yeah, just, awesome. James. Uh, number six is God has appointments, not disappointments. And um, there was, I thought was my last trip to P&G was in April. 
And I was desperate to take some Bibles across to the church. And at the last minute, the courier didn't turn up and nothing happened. And I was so disappointed. And, and I, I wrote to the guy who was supplying the Bibles. You know, I, I, got quite, I just got, got cross, you know, like, and I thought, no, that's not right. And then I wrote to this guy and said, I'm, you know, I apologize. I was a bit, a bit you know, ang- no, I wasn't angry, a bit impatient, you know. I said, and I now understand God has appointments, not disappointments. This will work together for good you know and then the next trip <laughs> I went out I, I got the bibles everything sorted out but then I had um I was 10 kgs over my luggage allowance which is quite a lot when you're flying um but Essie and I prayed and then mir- miraculously between flying from uh, flying to Washington Auckland I went up a tier in Qantas frequent flyer and I had an extra 12 kgs <laughs> of um luggage allowance, and then when I came to check in, they said, hey, you've got a KG to spare. I thought, oh, I should have taken another Bible. (laughs) And then um, number seven is those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not those who call on the name of the Lord might be saved. And, um, And in that, you can have confidence. You can be in a dangerous situation with people rioting around you. You can be, you can be in the worst situation. And I suddenly understand Paul's words about to live or die, to be rich or poor. It doesn't matter because if I know that the Lord will save me and the Lord is with me, it just like my whole environment doesn't matter anymore. You know. And I think sometimes you have to go completely out of your comfort zone to know that you don't need a comfort zone. You know. And then number eight. Um, there is nothing better, nothing better in the whole of this life than to be where God has called you to be. And, and I've really asked you, seek what's your passion? Because God will put you where your passion is. I, I, I love the work I do. And I know James loves his ants. Um, <laughs> you know, and so, so, go, so go, where, go where God has called your passion to be. And then finally, I just want to, to really acknowledge Marty and his, his prayer and his delight over creativity in the church and the releasing of um, workplace apostles and this idea that we would be all you know we would all be ambassadors you know and I I look around and I see you all as ambassadors I know like a lot of you travel but a lot of you are ambassadors in the role that you do that's awesome (laughs) thanks Ellie that's so good I don't think it was was it (laughs) No, that's so. So, I oh, thanks so much for for preparing that. Um, uh, next up, I want to invite another Kingdom agent. Uh, I'm going to invite Shirley Duncan. So, a round of applause for Shirley. <clears throat> Maybe stand on this side so I can um, operate this one. Um, so, again, like Shirley, some people will know you here, but a lot won't. So, can you tell us a bit about um, you know who you are, where you're from, and what your favourite dessert is? Oh, favourite dessert? Probably cheesecake. <laughs> um, who might? Well, actually, I was born in New Zealand, but I left um, as a late teenager to go study in Sydney at the Conservatorium of Music, stayed in Australia for the next so many years, met Ray um, in Australia, had four children, went to live in Fiji for two years, came back to Brisbane, um, went to Garden City Church, full into revival there, and where we uh, taught um, um, multicultural people English, as well as English Bible class that both Ray and I are involved in, and we love multicultural people, just just love them, love being overseas to Thailand, various places, mission trips, so we love that whole area. Also walked, uh, worked on the streets with the poor there, and um, and then Ray gets called to New Zealand, Wellington. And here I am. <laughs> so many things. Um, what, uh, Shirley's a little bit like Ellie to me. Like she'll she'll disappear for a bit and then come back and have all these amazing stories. So uh, recently, um, you told me about that you've been over with your family in Brisbane, and then when you came back, you had this amazing story of leading a woman to um, faith in Jesus. Um, can you tell us all about what happened? Put the first picture. 
uh, okay, this is an interesting story because um, it, it shows you how far go, God will go to get somebody into his kingdom. And I think it's encouraging for families here, or extended family, or someone that you um, haven't yet brought into the kingdom, just watch what God did here. This is a picture of my, our second son, Earl, and he decided to get married to a Thai girl, Joy. There she is. And so Ray and I and Hayden, who some of you might have met once, uh, went over to Thailand to celebrate their pre-wedding celebrations because all of her family were not going to come to Australia for the wedding. So that's a picture of them. She's like a little doll, isn't she? <laughs> Beautiful. Joy. So she's come from a Buddhist culture and a, and a Buddhist background. Um, met Earl and he um, talked to her about Christianity and, and she, she accepted that. Um, and I think some of you heard the story that um, when, when I got, shortly after I got married, I had a dream and uh, this is part of the testimony, so I'll just say it quickly. And God told me that um, Joy was pregnant spoke to me in the dream very clearly she's pregnant and you are to tell her to tell Earl to tell her not to look to the natural but to look to the spiritual I will be her father God and if she looks to me I will look after both her and the baby and this will be the beginning of her trust walk in me and then I woke up wow that was clear so I thought, I don't know if she's pregnant. Nobody's told me, what will I do? Sat on it for two days and then texted her. I said, look, I've had a dream. Um, I um, dreamt that um, Joy's pregnant, but if she isn't, it's probably symbolic. Blah, blah, blah. He wrote back immediately and he said, yes, she's pregnant. And yes, I'd like to know what the dream was. I said, <laughs> get on Skype. So I had the both of them. I said, Joy, you've been very fearful and um, very anxious. And because of things in her background that happened to her mother and so forth she was and coming from a culture that's very fearful and um, I said well this is what God said and she was tears falling and it was just a lovely moment so how but next next slide please no idea that this child was going to be born at 28 weeks that's Earl's hand so you can see how big it is no idea isn't God good that he gives you a word like that first and then that happens and so, I, and so then I'm from Australia, and when I'm in um, where am I, Australia and New Zealand, I said, Joy, remember the word, remember the word, remember God said he will look after you and the baby, and he did. Um, so um, the next slide we can see what he's like now. He's at, he's at our daughter's wedding that last April, and he's dressed up like a little Thai prince, like he's got um, long black pants, white shirt, a gold waistcoat, a gold bow tie, and a jacket with tails, if you please. So there he is, sweetie. <laughs> and the only thing's wrong with him, he has a little bit of astigmatism, but we've been praying for that, that it'll go away. But at the moment, he's supposed to wear glasses. Next part of the story, oh no, next part of the story is um, when we went to, going back, when we went to Thailand, we had to wait in Bangkok for one of Joy's friends to come in from Vietnam. And we waited and she came in, her name was Han. And, and then we went for a four hour journey from Bangkok, directly almost east, is it right? East to Ranrapadetia, near the Cambodian border. And, um, and so I got to talk to Han, lovely girl, one of Joy's close friends. So that was fine. And, but during the celebrations in Thailand, I had the opportunity, and there's the challenge point, and I talk about, you'll get in a conversation, you get a challenge point where you go forward in your conversation or you go back. And I had the opportunity to, to talk to her for about two hours about the Lord, and in contrast to Buddhism. Because Ray and I have worked a lot in this area, so we, you know, we knew the contrast. We talked to her, and this is Buddhism, this is Christianity. And she was very, very interested, and she said she'd, find, she'd go out and see what a church was like when she went back to Vietnam, which she actually did. She went to a Catholic one. And um, so I thought, wow, this is special. This is something God's doing. I don't know what, but I, I just took the opportunity to just, just spend the time with her and talk to her about the gospel. That was the end of that. Prayed for her, thought about her. Um, next minute, I'm at, uh, back in Australia on the holidays, and we're both out in the garden, or doing some weeding, and Joy is out there on her phone, um, and talking to somebody, and I thought, oh, I think I know who she's talking. I said, Joy, are you talking, you're talking to Han? She said, yes. So I just went, hi, Han, in the picture, and Han said, oh, do you remember me? I said, of course I do. I mean, she didn't know I'd been praying for her and everything. And I said, yeah, of course I do. Now, what transpired here was, um, she'd come to, from Vietnam, she'd now come to Sydney, studying early childhood course, was there alone, all by herself, had nobody with her. I said to Joy, she ought to come to Brisbane. It just like sat in my spirit, this is what she should do, that's it. Joy said, yes, but she, she can't because she's already paid for a course, da-da-da-da, um, and it can't happen. I said, Joy, you know how Father God works. You know how he does miracles, don't you? I said, so you pray to him and ask him to bring her to Brisbane. 
That's right. Okay. Next little while, Joyce says, um, oh, she's coming to Brisbane. And she's staying in our house. And there's another one. <laughs> Lucky we've got how many people in our house now? Quite a lot. We've got Joy and, and Jari, Jariel and uh, Joy and, and then our niece Sarah and her two, two kids. And now Han, who's in my room when we go back. So now I go in the lounge when I come back, get down to my announcements, right? Um, so there she is. I thought, wow, God <laughs> is up to something. And... Um, and we can show the next picture of her. During that time, I said, well, you've come into a Christian house, and you realise that's dangerous, you know, for you. And because um, everybody is very loving. And um, anyway, it was fine by her. Began to talk to her a little bit about Christian Wayne. And, and just the funny thing, I arrived the day before she came. So when she, she came the next day and she sort of like came in the house and looking like a deer caught in headlights as of what am I coming into? And everybody just loved on her, as, as we do. Just loved on her. And she was like, oh... And she said, um, she, when she was in Sydney, on her day off, she's so lonely, she'd have to go out somewhere. She said, I don't feel that in this home, she said, because I'm loved on and etc. Now, one day, nearly finished, one day, little Jariel decided he didn't want to wear his glasses, had a little scrap, a slap, what do you call it, strap round the back lid, pulled it off, threw it away somewhere, and they had to take him to the optometrist, and they were looking for these glasses, and I could see Joy's really worried. And, and I thought, oh dear, I wonder where they are. And she'd searched the whole house, no glasses. And suddenly, uh, you know, I got a check in my spirit. Why aren't you talking to me about it? I said, oh, of course, Lord. So uh, Sarah was there, Han was there. I said, look, girls, we need to get together and pray. We, that's what we should be doing. So Sarah and Joy and I sat in the lounge and prayed, just Father God. And, and Han was watching. So I said, Father God, I pray simply when you've got people around you that have just been brought into the kingdom. And always Father God, because that brings them personally. It's not a God out there. It's Father God. So Father God, you know where those glasses are. Would you please show Joy or somebody where they are? Because we really need them. And uh, thank you very much. I know you're going to do that. And I said, now, Joy, you know how it works, don't you? Yes. I said, he's going to put something in your mind and he's going to show you where they are. So I was out in the garden again, so away I went. Ten minutes later, I heard this commotion going inside and I thought, oh, I bet she's found the glasses. So I come back in and um, I said, did you find the glasses? She said, yes, I did. I said, what happened? She said, well, I got this thought in my mind that I should look under the kitchen um, basin in the cupboard where there was uh, some potatoes and a, and a tray. And she said, I've looked there, but I should have, I, she said, I got the word that I should look behind that. And there they were. There were the glasses. Who would have looked there? So I said, see, and, and Han was listening. So that was a good, um, you know, something for, and then next time, and then the next day or so I heard that Joy is saying she, Han suffers from, from nightmares. And, 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 and I thought, wow, I can deal with this one. Good, you know, I'm going to, Fox Terry after rat this. So she's in the in the kitchen. I said, Hun, tell me about these nightmares you're having. She she said, Well, I'm, I've been dreaming about snakes and they're hurting my, my, my relatives. I thought, ah, put that in my memory bags, deal with that one soon. And um, but she said, What about you? She said, Well, yes, I'm scared of these snakes and 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 I said, Did they bite you? She said, Once one did. I said, Did you this is really important, did you die? In the dream, she said, "No." I said, "In actual fact, you've won. Really important, and 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 ministered to people like this before. If you do not die in your dream and you attack by fear, like a dog coming up to bite you or something, doesn't draw blood, it doesn't attack. You can come that close, but if it doesn't kill you, you've actually won." So I explained that to her. You've actually won, and you know that fear may have come that close, but it has not got you. So you never need to have that again. I said, and the power of God, and I talked about the power of, of God, you know, overcoming things like that, fear and anxiety, which is big in that culture. And um, I had about 10 minutes in the kitchen, 10 minutes before I had another appointment, I thought, here's the challenge point. Do I go forward or back? Because I had to go. I'm going forward. So I stepped forward and I said, and now, Han, I said, do you want to come into the kingdom as a child of God? She said, yes, I do. I said, right, I'm going to take you through a prayer. So I took her through a prayer like this in his prayer. Prayed for her that the Holy Spirit will come into her heart and that um, she'll be released from fear and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't see her much because she's gone at 8 o'clock and she comes back at 10.30 because she actually works as well as studies. So I didn't see her again before I left. But I just, again, it's not up to me to have success or failure. It's I just do what's in front of me. I just do what's in front of me to bring people into the kingdom. And, um, and so she came in and I was talking to Joy on the phone. And later I said, uh, tell me just something. Has Han had any fears since we prayed for? Not at all. 
no fear whatsoever. So God takes a, a girl from Vietnam to Thailand, to Sydney, to Brisbane, to our place, to get her into the kingdom. Don't you think that's encouraging? For you people that have still got people out there, I believe God's got a hook on them, and you just keep hooking them, and he'll do it. That's about all. That's so awesome. That's such a good story. Um, but before... Oh, okay, then. Yeah. No, no, no. We'll save you up for some other stories for another time. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> she's, uh, she's amazing. Like, seriously, have a chat with Shirley um, and ask her, talk to her about what, what she does out on the streets of Wellington. Most weekends, eh, Shirley? Yeah. Uh, it'll blow, blow your mind. You go, <clears throat> she, she's so brave, so courageous, um, and just like, just like the rest of us, eh, taking steps of faith. Um, are you okay if I keep preaching for a little bit longer? Yeah, because uh, I've got, I, re- I do feel like this is what the Lord wants um, me to kind of like move on to, um, um, partly even from what um, Shirley and Ellie were, were sharing. Because the king- kingdom agents uh, and the kingdom of God operates in such unexpected ways. And uh, the guy I want to talk to you about is, is in the Old Testament. He's the OG Joseph. Not Jesus' dad, but the OG and the, um, in, this, in Genesis. Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God, but before he arrived, that God was already at work in the world. He was, he was working through individuals, he was working through families, uh, even, even whole nations, bringing about his purposes, and Joseph was one of these people. Joseph had a really topsy-turvy life. He was the 11th son of Israel. Uh, Israel was, he, he was also called uh, Jacob. Uh, Jacob wrestled with God, and then uh, God renamed him Israel. And he was his old man's favorite. And so his old man, Israel, gave him this coat. Which almost certainly didn't look like this. <laughs> but I like how he's farting a rainbow. Hey. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. But go on. <laughs> I got liberty sometimes. Anyway, he gave him this coat. And Joseph had dreams. Actually, that's why I really wanted to talk, talk about this. So Ellie uh, talked about dreams and so did Shirley about dreams. He had these dreams, these dreams of grandeur, dreams that he was going to be a really, really important person. And, and he told his brother and he told his dad, his brothers, and told his dad, and they got really upset. They got really enraged with him, and um, so enraged that they threw him into a pit. They were going to leave him there to die, but they ended up selling him to slave traders. And the slave traders then sold him in Egypt to um, a fellow called Potiphar, and Potiphar, uh, Joseph became a slave um, in Potiphar's house. Crazy, yeah. So dreams of grandeur, I'm going to be this really important person. Next minute he's, um, well, it sounds like a next minute because it's in Genesis and things happen pretty quickly. But anyway, he ends up a slave in Potiphar's house. And, and really, unfortunately for Joseph, is, uh, he was afflicted with this curse that some of us have of being really handsome. Yeah. <laughs> um, and unlike me, he was well built. <laughs> so he had big muscles, I guess, <laughs> pretty ripped, pretty good looking. And um, Mrs., Mrs. Potiphar, she got, you know, uh, had the wandering eye. And she was like, oh, I like the look of that. And... Um, and so she tried to seduce him. And uh, Joseph, he was um, a man of integrity, and he, and he turned her down. And this really upset her. She got so enraged that she falsely accused him um, of sexual assault. And then, uh, of course, her husband, Mr. Potiphar, he got so enraged that he had um, Joseph thrown in prison. Most of you will probably be pretty familiar with the story. So Joseph's gone from being the favorite son, number 11, middle son, um, often the favorite, uh, to being... Um, <laughs> being in a pit, being a slave, and then being, uh, being in prison, the store slave in prison, pit stink. But in prison, uh, God gave him the gift to interpret dreams. Actually, I wonder if this is kind of like what um, Ellie, Ellie was saying about, um, uh, what did you say about appointing um, and about um, equipping and then being appointed? I think he was equipped eh, with, with this whole dream gig. And, and these two other, two other guys in, in prison, they had these, had these dreams that they thought were significant, and they had a, had a uh, chat with Joseph. And um, there's only, I think, a couple of times when, when we hear about Joseph's faith in God, and uh, I think it was when he talks about interpreting dreams, and he goes, I can't interpret dreams, but God can, so tell me your dreams. 
And so they told him, and uh, he turns out that uh, he interpreted them accurately, which worked out pretty well for the um, cupbearer and not so well for the baker. Um, but you should read and read Genesis to find out about that. But in, in interpreting these dreams, um, that then led to him um, uh, having a conversation with Pharaoh. Pharaoh being the ruler of Egypt, a real significant guy. Not just not just a um, not just a, a king, but also a spiritual ruler, like uh, sort of like this this person sub just sub to the gods, in between the gods and, and the people. Anyway, Pharaoh had this dream, which he thought was pretty pretty significant, and then he told somebody who told somebody who remembered Joseph was able to interpret dreams, so they had Joseph pop up, um, and he goes the same thing. He goes, oh, I can't interpret dreams, but God can interpret dreams, so tell me what you've got. And uh, in these dreams that, that Pharaoh had, they foretold of this, of this coming period of plenty where, where Egypt was going to be really blessed. And then seven years of uh, famines where they would, um, they'd run out of food. And Joseph, he had a, he had a strategy and he goes, um, you know, to prepare for the famine and to see it out, um, we should, we should um, stock up what we get during the time of plenty. So Pharaoh hears this and he goes, that sounds like a good idea. In fact, it's such a good idea that I'm going to make you my 2IC. So Joseph goes from being um, a slave in prison and getting responsibilities and so on there to being uh, actually in charge of Egypt. 2IC to the Pharaoh. It's crazy, crazy story. But I think it, it is... Even more crazy because through Joseph, the whole country of Egypt ends up, um, they end up having food throughout the famine um, and surviving the famine. So they end up being blessed by God through what he's doing. Uh, and also because of Joseph, his family, so these brothers that had sold him into slavery, uh, through him they were saved from starvation and they were able to find a place to live for the next um, few hundred years. And I reckon there's some really helpful perspectives in Joseph's life for us to be kingdom agents. Like there's these dreams that Joseph had that he was going to be really important, but his life took turn after turn for the worse, and there was no way that his dreams could be fulfilled through his own strategies. But in each circumstance that he was in, he, he worked, he, well, I mean, we don't really know too much from Genesis, but, but apparently it looks like he, he must have worked hard. He must have had integrity. Otherwise, his owners, his slave owners, and these jailers and stuff wouldn't have kept giving him more and more responsibility. So he seemed to have, it appears that he had integrity, that he worked hard, that he, that he honored his, his owner. He's a slave, but he's honored his owner. He honored the jailer when he was a prisoner. Joseph continued having faith in God, like what I said. He, um, he was able to interpret dreams through God. When he was a slave in Potiphar's house, um, he worked to bless them. They ended up giving them, him responsibility for the whole household. He honored, he honored his owner. When he resisted sexual temptation, there was a there was a moment of honor, and even though the consequences were huge, because he you know he could have gone and gone down that track, but he ended up in jail, and in prison he relied on God to interpret dreams. Joseph reminds us of what Paul wrote to the Corinthians in First Corinthians ten thirty one. I've been thinking about this heaps. Paul's actually writing about food, and he goes, "Whatever you do, you do it all for the glory of God." Food, but whatever you do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God in each circumstance. And I really don't know if Joseph would have been able to predict what was coming. But somehow, like in all of these real stink situations, he, can't, he somehow kept going for it, kept on charging. And then the massive twist, I think, in the story is that he ends up being in charge of Egypt. Egypt's usually regarded as the bad guy, like the villain, hey, the, the nation of evil. And yet through Joseph, God blesses Egypt. God used Joseph to feed the people of the land throughout the famine. Like there's, a, there's a national thing going on here, a bit like um, sort of Ellie's work uh, with the UN and over in PNG. Like there's a national thing going on here. Also through, through Joseph, um, there was reconciliation with his family. He ended up having reconciliation with all his brothers and his dad, um, as well as them finding a place to live. And it's all through that day-by-day -day faithfulness of Joseph. And sometimes we, we can feel like these dreams that we have when we we're kids, when we we're young, that we have these dreams of being important, of being significant somehow, that they're just childish, they're just nonsense. And we get, we get older and we can get a bit beaten down with life, like I'm turning 42 this year, it's pretty old, man, pretty old. 
We can become a bit, bit aware of our own failings and limitations. I know you guys gave me a round of applause for being godly, but you don't know me. <laughs> Tessa knows me. <laughs> she wasn't clapping. <laughs> but the narrative of the kingdom of God, this is so powerful because it speaks a different word. It speaks a different story, and by tapping into it, we can have eternal significance. These dreams, these hopes that we have when we're any younger of being significant, they can come to reality in the kingdom of God's story. In so many things, so many ways. Like when you spoke kindly to diffuse a tense situation, something's going down at your work, people are fighting. And you spoke kindly to diffuse a situation. Or when you gave food to someone that was hungry. Or when you offered to pray for somebody with a migraine. Or when you told somebody that you believe in Jesus, that you believe Jesus is God. And nobody else might know about these things. Nobody else might hear about them. Um, like how you spent half an hour to be with God one day, just to be alone with Jesus one day. No one might know about that. Or how you resisted temptation, or how you tired, or how you, you know, all these different ways that we can, we can honor God. And these are all examples. They're just little examples, but you can just like, let your minds go crazy. Let your imagination go nuts. Like There's so many ways that the kingdom of God can be written, uh, can write into your story. And I've been um, reminded over the last couple of weeks of this old phrase quite a lot. Watch the pennies and the pounds will take care of themselves. Like it's actually talking about saving money, I think, probably. Watch the pennies and the pounds will take care of themselves. Or if you're in, in New Zealand, we go... Watch the cents and the dollars take, take care of themselves. Like it's about like taking care of the little things or doing the little things and that we see the, um, the big things happen. And I reckon that there's significance, eternal significance in the things that might seem really unimportant in the eyes of the world. Yeah, Jesus said it like this. Well, he said it lots of ways. He goes, when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. And it's like this. Doing these, doing these little things and not doing it for the attention of others, not doing it for our own, our own pride, but, but, um, but doing it for the Father. Or, like later on he talks about um, storing up your treasure in heaven. Being a kingdom agent might not, um, and sometimes it might involve highly prestigious, sometimes it might involve highly prestigious and public roles. Sometimes it might involve um, operating at a national or international level. Like, oh, I'm so stoked to hear about Simon's um, dream of being a counsellor. Like, that's so awesome. But sometimes, actually just as important, and it maybe it's even more important in our every, everyday actions, uh, like the way that we treat the people around us. And in the kingdom narrative, in the kingdom narrative, the most important things, the two most significant things are this, our relationship with God. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength, Jesus said. And the other most significant thing is how we relate to and treat everyone around us. And Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. These are the most important things. It's, it's a funny thing. I, I ride my bike quite a lot to work. And sometimes I'll sort of have a bit of a, um, you know, have a race with the people around you, especially if they're on an e-bike and I think I can take them down. <laughs> <laughs> but God, God kind of speaks to me quite a lot in the commute, and he, he dropped this little thing into my head of like, um, oh no, it sounds silly, but he goes, um, you know, make, make allies, not enemies. Like, um, it's, you know, make allies with the people that are on their bike with me, or make allies with the bus drivers who, you know, they try to cut you off, or make allies with the, you know, the other drivers and stuff on the road, not enemies. And I start thinking about this in all sorts of different ways. Make allies, not enemies. The little things. How we relate to and treat everyone around us. And I just want to finish, so I'm taking, taking up your whole morning. But this is good stuff. Um, and I know it's good stuff because Todd Hunter, um, he said the same thing. Todd Hunter, um, if you've heard of him, he, he was really, really involved with vineyard churches in the 80s and 90s. He was so involved that when John Wimber um, passed away, so John Wimber being that really key figure in Vineyard Churches, when he passed away, Todd Hunter took over as, national, as the director of the Vineyard Churches over in the U.S. And, he, and then, uh, now he's a bishop in the Anglican Church. And I know what I'm saying is important because he kind of stole my sermon. And he wrote on Facebook this week, he goes, Today I want to talk about a big word, eschatology. 
and how it can help us in our walk with Christ. We know what eschatology means, Todd. Just told them. <laughs> eschatology simply means when all is said and done, completed, where is it going? What is history's ultimate fulfillment? When Paul says, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion to the day of Christ, it's meant to give us an imagination for the way our lives are being pulled towards something. It's a powerful pull and orientation toward consummation in Christ. He goes, for many of you, when you think of your own life and discipleship to Christ, you can quickly see and feel brokenness. Your sin and imperfections are always before you. For some, this leads to beating up on yourself, guilt trips and shame. When we're looking at our past or present brokenness, we don't see where it's all heading. And he goes, I think we lose a great assistance, a greater power in our discipleship with Christ. Our formation in Christ is kind of like being the people of the future. <laughs> That's what I said, Todd. Our formation in Christ is kind of like being the people of the future. You could say living the life of heaven in the present in any circumstance. When we have the completion of Christ always in mind, in the background of everything, it puts our little lives in context. It situates us in the bigger picture of God's story and gives us hope that despite our failures, we are being pulled inexorably towards Christ's victory. That's so awesome. Oh, man. I'm so stoked. Like, you start to think about all these little things, like somebody giving you grief at work. And that, like, you can have, a, you can have two ways of operating. There's, like, the world way where you kind of, like, step up to them and you go, you know, um, I'm more important than you or whatever it is. Or, but then there's also the kingdom. There's also a kingdom way. And like in every situation, whether you're at church or whether you're at home, whether you're washing the dishes and you don't really want to, uh, whether you're being patient with other drivers on the road, all these things actually are really, really important. They all add up. Uh, quiet times alone with Jesus, telling people about, telling people about uh, Jesus. Um, oh, man, like we, should, we just need to let our minds go actually wild. Uh, after, after the service, when finally I stopped speaking, just, man, imagine it. Imagine if everything we do can have eternal significance. Blimey. <laughs> yeah. And this is what I'm talking about, being kingdom agents. And this has got me super excited, guys. <laughs> I might talk about this a few more times over the next year. Thank you, Jesus, for your amazing goodness. And that, Lord, that we can enter into your story. Lord, that we can, you take us as we are. You even take our failings. Take our sin and our brokenness, and you can turn that into something beautiful. You can take what we've turned upside down, you can take what's upside down in the world, and you can turn it around to something good. Like every person here, from the youngest to the oldest, the things that they do, we can all have significance and be important in your kingdom, Lord Jesus. We don't even know the consequences, we don't even know what's going to happen. Joseph had no clue. And you used him mightily in the same way you can use us. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that even today, as we go from this place, that you would communicate into our minds the ways that you want us to operate as your children. In Jesus' name, amen.